Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Let's bring in Michael Felder and talk some more college football. He joins us on the Brandon Moving and Storage Hotline. Michael, how are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Not great. I just had to get my car towed into the shop, so that 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 rejoiner was perfect for me. It's a shame they don't have a big old tire there. In, uh, you're in Charlotte? Yes, sir. Yep. We need to uh, branch out, I guess, so we can help out Michael Felder. Let's uh, start with the two semifinal games. What did you think of those, uh, the two games? Um, I mean, let's start with the Michigan-Alabama game. Obviously, I think that there's a couple things. One, we have to give Michigan credit. This is something that people keep complaining about. They say, I don't give Michigan enough credit. They are good at what they do. They are very good at what they do. The problem for me is I just think they should be better than they are. But they were good enough to beat Alabama, a team that most people are picking the defense, beat them in overtime. Uh, the big thing that always comes up to me is like, and I, I heard this from my mom all the time, it's like, listen, don't, don't argue with, with fools because they'll drag you down to their level and beat you with experience. And that's what that game felt like. It felt like Michigan made the water so muddy Alabama couldn't see and couldn't get anything done. Uh, kudos to, um, obviously, Mike Stainer still coming into this game. He was my favorite player uh, on defense. In, out of all the four teams. But also, kudos to that front, that defensive front. They were able to – and it's been a problem all year. So, the snap. The snap is a huge issue. And the way that that absolutely killed drives for Alabama was remarkable. And the fact that they couldn't do anything about it really speaks to them having a lack of another option. They kept that guy in the game when you're looking at it and you're like, these snaps are terrible. And I was talking to E.J. Manuel on uh, Tuesday. And he said something that really stood out to me. He, the way that he re- referenced and kind of put it into layman's terms was, imagine if your cell phone fell into the passenger seat. Not passenger seat, fell into the floor at the passenger seat. And you're driving on the highway, you're going, you know, 70 on the highway, and you reach down to go get it. And then you look up, and the picture's completely changed. That's what Jalen Miller was kind of dealing with with those bad snaps. So we had a rough go of it, but kudos to Michigan for winning. And then, hey, but Michael, hold on, to, Michael, hold on on that. Yeah. That started happening early in the season, like game two, game yeah, three. All year. That's been happening all yeah. year long, and yeah. and I've had that happen. We've been in shotgun. We haven't. My, my teams haven't taken a snap from under center since two thousand and six. Okay. Yeah. And 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 so we've had these problems, and this is an. I, I had two thousand and in two thousand and six. As a matter of fact. My quarterback took every snap behind the right guard because I couldn't get the center to snap it straight back. And so after a while, you quit doing it. I had a year like the one you're talking about with Milrow. I moved my quarterback mm-hmm. up to four yards. It was the only time my quarterback started at four yards. I couldn't get yeah. the kid to do it. And you got to look and you go, okay, is the kid behind him that much of a drop-off? Because the kid in that game was going to ruin a bunch of plays for them. And make a bunch of plays even harder. So is the guy behind him that could snap it perfectly, is he that much worse at blocking? And they should have started that process a long time ago with a new center and 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 having him learn and go, is the drop-off worth six, seven plays a game? To me, it would be. Because you don't know when those six or seven are coming. If it comes on third down or fourth down, it's a turnover, basically. If it comes at the end of the game yeah. like it did, it's a loser. You're, you're, hey, man, you preach to the choir. This is a thing that we brought up before, it's a thing that we all saw over the course of the season. It's a thing that didn't hurt them that much until what, Auburn, obviously, and then, of course, it cost them in that national championship game, or excuse me, in the national semifinal game. And it just was one of those things, like, I don't understand how this wasn't a, a massively 
instantly address point from Nick Saban, a guy that we know to be really super technical. Um, then you flip it over to the other game, and, I mean, Michael Penix Jr. is amazing. Like, that guy just gets the job done. I thought Quinn Ewers played a pretty good game. and But the thing for me, the two things are Penix, it's time. Time is the whole thing with Washington. If Penix has time, then he's going to make a play. And he's going to make you pay because they've got three wide receivers that are going to be played on Sunday. They've got um, a tight end in uh, Jack Westover who just keeps finding ways to get open and keeps finding ways to steal first downs from you. And Penix, and this is something I, want, I don't know if you know this, Coach, but I love Penix moving to his right. I know he's a lefty. And in theory, most teams roll to your dominant hand. But most defenses are, are set up for, to play against right-handed players. And what you're always taught on defense, what I was always taught on defense, is when you get that quarterback rolling to his right, he's never going to throw it back to the middle of the field. He's never going to throw it to the post. He's never going to throw it. It's all Everything's going to go towards the sideline. And the beauty of Penix as a lefty, you think about those mechanics of throwing, he's got to step with that right foot. So if he's on a half roll or if he's on a scramble to his right, he's always got the ability to square completely up don't have to whip his all of his hips around. He's got the ability to square up and put that ball on the hash or put that ball to the post, put that ball to the over route that most right-handed quarterbacks can't do. And I think that's a that's one of the things that's really beautiful about watching him play. And then with respect to time, I, I go timeliness. They needed to play on defense, they got it. They needed to play on defense, they got it. They needed to play one second to go. What did they get? They got the cleanest pass breakup we've probably seen this year of a guy who he literally jumped basically backwards and swatted that ball away and then looked at the ref like, there's no way you can call me on anything. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right about Penix. And not only that, I am, I've been anti-fade route for years because at all levels they're less than 20% completion rate. And even Calvin Johnson, the greatest maybe fade guy that's ever played the game, was 18% when he got out of the NFL. They were 18, that's what his number was, 18% completion. I'm yeah. not doing anything like that. With Penix... I don't care who he's throwing to. I would probably be like, okay, I'm okay with the fade. He like he couldn't walk up there and hand it to those guys. And I mean, it just in its perfect trajectory. It's not coming too low where the guy can knock it down. It's coming down over the top and just laying in the breadbasket, so to speak. It is unbelievable. And and that's a that's a huge deal because I'm against that route. I'm against the one-on-one matchups. If my guy's got to beat your guy. I want I want to have a reason to get him open besides that, a double move or something. But with him, they just have to be running down the field and it's going to land in their arms. And and he's he's magical at that. I mean like mm-hmm. magical and he's been magical all year. It's not close. To how he's the best deep ball, deep ball thrower in the game, but it's so. It, but, but even the one that he said he missed against the tight end, not the not the one you talked about, but the faster one. The guy turned yeah. his shoulders and slowed down. The ball would have landed right in his hand. Well, he overthrew that one. No, he didn't. Dude turned his shoulders right. completely backwards and slowed down to about half speed, or it landed in his. Penix doesn't make mistakes on those things. But you're right. He enables them to do things that defenses rule out for other quarterbacks. And all of a sudden, when they see him doing that, they're like, "Oh, we got to stop this." And he can do different things because he can square his shoulders up. I think you're think you're exactly right on that. And I think Washington's offensive line. Not only do I think they're a little smaller and they're a little more mobile and can protect him better because of that. I think I watched a bunch of stuff. I think they love the guy, so it'd be like us protecting our kids. Mm. I mean, I think they love him, and that's a big part of it too. Mm. All right, well, let's move to the national championship game. Who do you mm-hmm. like? Man, 
Listen, I, I like Washington. I, I just I I think Michigan's gonna have it's gonna be it's it's gonna be a little bit more rough to stop this guy. Like we saw Alabama and Alabama offense that I don't think measures up to Washington's offense. And they, they took them to get to overtime to get the win and it took a lot of really bad plays from Alabama for them to get the win. So I look at Washington, I think they're gonna execute. We both we all we all know that they've been already working on this game, so the t- the one-week turnaround is not going to be that big of a deal because everybody's already been working on everybody else. I think the key for me is going to be putting Michigan in conflict, but again, it goes back to time, and time is like a running thing for me on this one. Time, 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 time. Can p- the- if Penix has time, and Michigan has to cover those guys, they don't have to cover those guys at 8, at 12, at 10. They're going to have to cover those guys at 20, 24. It takes time to get those guys down the field. If you give Penix that time, I think he's going to win every time. Michigan came with a lot of blitzes against Alabama. Yeah. Can they do that against Washington? They can. And it's going to be a matter of what does Mike Stainer still do? Because that's the part. He's my, again, he's my favorite player on defense. Um, going into the semifinals, he was. He's still my favorite player going into this game. Uh, but where, where do you use him? Do you use him to bring pressure from depth, or do you use him? to try to cover down a big area in the back end. That's the part that's going to be really interesting. And by the way, he's a guy, man, kudos to him for making the move to defense. You want to talk about someone that really changed their trajectory as a, as a, as a future NFL player because now he's one of the top defensive backs when he was an afterthought at wide receiver. How about in the uh, NFL? Because this week is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, when you look at the number of teams that are still in in contention for a playoff bid or uh, a title, AFC East, Miami and Buffalo, Buffalo favored by three at Miami. Yeah, it, it's really like wild to look at the playoff picture. And like that's the thing I had to make sure I pulled up because everything keeps changing. And when you go from playing those games on Sunday, because they played Saturday and Sunday, you got to look at the playoff picture. And the reality for me is, like, we know Baltimore's going to make the playoffs. We know the Chiefs are going to make the playoffs. We know the Dolphins are going to make the playoffs. The Bills are an interesting team because they, they need this to make sure they get it done. And the Jags are sitting there on the cusp. So this is going to be a real – it's a big weekend. It is. And that's what, that's what you want, especially as it kind of winds down for college. The NFL is revving up, and that's one of that's part of the kind of the machine, basically, that they have. I'm I'm curious to watch. Um, I'm curious to watch the Steelers game. My dad's a big Steelers guy. I'm curious to see if they're able to steal to, to steal a win, um, because obviously we already know that Tom was solidified his no losing season. But if they can get to ten wins, I think they're still going to feel pretty good about going into the offseason and what they're going to need. So it's just a very it's a different world than college football, if we're, just to be fair. Like, we know, and I'm getting ready for to start doing draft stuff, so this final week is where I get to start looking at what do teams need, what do they have, and how are they going to get to where they want to go. Well, it's crazy. Coach and I were talking about that game with Baltimore already clinching. They're going to sit a lot of players. Yeah. Buff, uh, Buffalo, if they lose to Miami, and if Pittsburgh does beat Baltimore, Buffalo yeah. could miss the playoffs. Yeah, so it's... <laughs> If you're Baltimore, if you're Baltimore, you know you don't mind playing Miami later on, and right. because they're you've beat their butts, and and 
if you play, or do you lose this game not on purpose, but do you call it conservatively? You're sitting so many players anyway, it'd be easy to lose without even trying to lose. But do you call it conservatively because you don't want to play the Bills? I think so. I think you do. I think you make that play. I think you make that move. I think, as you mentioned, the sit-outs, it's been really interesting to, to circle back to college football. Um, people talking about the sit-outs and if the bowl games are meaningless. And like This game for Baltimore does feel like it's pretty meaningless because they're already clinched. And if it helps them play the team they'd rather play, then that it kind of makes it meaningful, even though it doesn't mean much to them. It just means we can, we can kind of avoid playing the bill. You circle back to college football. I wanted to end on this. You look at what Ole Miss is doing in the transfer portal, and they had a good team this year. Where is Ole Miss in your preseason rankings next year? I mean, after the way they closed out the game, I, I think, and, and listen, Dark's back, Justin's back. They're going to have the, the nucleus of that team is going to be there, uh, especially with like, the point scores. And so, for me, I think, and you look at LSU losing Jaden Daniels, obviously, um, where – I don't know. We we all thought Tennessee was going to be hot stuff this year, and they weren't. Um, Florida, I have no idea what they expect from them. So I think if you just if we're just sitting in the SEC, I think it's Georgia, it's Alabama, and then probably Ole Miss. If you're asking me, it, it, oh, we got to throw Mizzou in there as well too. So those are probably your top four teams. I think if you're talking national, you're looking for a number. Why can't they start out as a top ten team? And a team, honestly, with the expanded playoff, that should be angling to get into the playoff which will be in maybe even hosting a game in Oxford uh, to start the playoff. Yeah, I think they are uh, I think they could be a top-five team. I do, too. I do, too. I don't think there's any Ooh. question. Mm-hmm. Preseason rankings, all the hype. I think I think uh, yeah. they have a chance to be in the top five. Michael, thank you. We appreciate the time. It's always good. Thank you guys so much. Michael Felder right. joining us on the Brandon Moving and Storage Hotline.